Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Friday morning. We have all your NBA offseason action right here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Zach Harper. That's Dave DeFore. That's Andrew Schleck pushing the buttons. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports year. Subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash daily ding. I think you might be able. There's a typo. It says like a dollar a month. I think that goes away this week. So if you're listening to this, run on over there right now. Get that typo in your favor and get The Athletic for $1 a month. Coming up on today's show, the Rockets have a coach and the Jazz have a new governor. But first, Derek Bodner joins us to discuss Daryl Morey joining the Philadelphia 76ers to oversee basketball operations. That was a report according to ESPN. And then, of course, Shams Tarani of The Athletic. Derek, um, thanks for joining us. I guess first and foremost, I I talked to a few very smart people around the league after this news broke, and they were actually all very optimistic about this for Ben Simmons, saying, hey, analytics is shots at the rim and three-pointers. Well, he can get to the rim and he can pass out the three-pointers. How do you see this impact from Daryl Morey and, and Doc Rivers' partnership? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly if you look at you know Ben Simmons, he doesn't take threes. We all know that. He's always generated threes. Like if you look at the, the people who have generated the most three-point opportunities, he's always at the top of the league. So there's that way to look at it. And then there's even the more simplistic view of it, where Daryl Morey has pretty much built his entire career around the dogged pursuit of superstars. And everything he has done in Houston, after Trace McGrady, after Yao Ming injuries, was to get James Harden, was to get eventually Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. So he has these two guys now. I don't want to call them superstars. Uh, certainly in Simmons' case, Embiid is there at times, but he has these two stars, and I just don't—I don't think he's going to come out away from a come out of a trade with the lesser talent at this stage. I think he's going to give it everything he can to try to make it work. And look, maybe that means he tries it for a year, and then we have this conversation. Maybe that means he tries it until a trade deadline. Doesn't mean it's set in stone, but I do think he's going to give it a shot here and see if he can surround them with uh, better fitting talent. If for no other reason, then I think this is this is, this is the end goal that he builds most of his moves to get towards. Yeah, I was going to say, that's sort of his M.O., right? Is to maximize the stars that you have because that's the hardest thing to get, which yeah. is why we saw him do so many experiments in Houston. I'm more thinking, what does this mean for Al Horford and Tobias Harris? Oh, and, and you can throw Josh Richardson in there too. Um, I'm not sure Josh Richardson is going to be super long for the team. I mean, it's it's clear. And again, I think sometimes we can go to, you know, they didn't have any true centers in Houston. So what does that mean for Al Horford? Or what does that mean for Joel Embiid? Well, you know, a big part of that is they were trying to maximize James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They're not they're not walking through that door here. Um, but, you know, I do think it's fair to say, will Daryl Morey want to invest $109 million or whatever's left on the contract in a backup center? And that is a, a very fair question to ask. You know, I do think... I. Frankly, I thought the Sixers were going to look to move on from Al Horford anyway, for really everybody's sake, for the Sixers' sake, 
to better invest either that money or even just just that flexibility under the luxury tax and the apron um, for Al Horford's sake to get a better role that he can, you know, go into the twilight of his career in for really everyone's sake. And I think just this, this kind of pushes it more. But then you start looking at, you know, guys like Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson who are not what you would describe as Daryl Morey players. Mid-range heavy, don't get to the free throw line, aren't, cons- especially in Josh Richardson's case, aren't consistent three-point shooters or and especially not high volume three-point shooters i think that's where you could really start seeing like al horford i think was a, a given they were going to try to move him richardson and harris is probably where you're going to see the big biggest change in their odds of being on the roster well yeah and derek i mean looking at um looking at kind of the task at hand i think everyone now says all right daryl Morey took over let's see how he fixes the team now right and it's yep. and it's not going to be now because one we have some kind of bastardized truncated offseason that we that we think is going to be very short here and and two like there is a lot of money to move and that's tough right like that like it's not just be okay find a spot for Al Horford now let's get rid of Tobias Harris now let's get rid of Josh Richardson when do you expect to see the type of team Daryl Morey envisions this to be when do you think that starts to like formalize is that like two off seasons from now three like what when can we expect to see that yeah, I mean that's a it's a great it's a great question just because moving off of some of these contracts is difficult in and of itself. Like Tobias Harris has a contract where it is going to be difficult to find a trade partner for. Now you throw in a, a pandemic and dropping basketball related income and uncertainty in the, in terms of the luxury tax and the future luxury tax, it probably gets a little bit harder even with that. You know, Josh Richardson has a little bit of a timeline because it's the final year of his contract. Well, it will, it will be assuming he opts out, which everyone assumes that he will. Um, if he does, that will be the final year of his contract. So there's a little more urgency in that regard. But certainly I don't think you're looking at it and saying, well, he's going to be able to completely remake this roster in his image, you know, between now and the start of the season. Probably not even between now and the trade deadline, whenever that may be. Um, it, it will probably take a year or two before we really start seeing how this will look as a Daryl Morey team. Well, also... It's not like this is a bad basketball team. This no. is not the Bobcats right. that he's taken over. I mean, this is a team that is a second-round playoff team. And I think your point about Ben Simmons before, he gets to the rim. He creates threes. That's exactly the kind of player that Daryl Morey will want. And I think that maximizing Joel Embiid is probably going to be his first course of action. I've been thinking about the structure of this front office, and obviously Elton Brand was sort of spearheading everything up to this point. What does Daryl's hiring mean for Elton? I mean, it's, it's you know, I think Elton was put in a really tough spot, really in this whole ordeal. Uh, you know, he came in two years ago. A lot of people view him as a figurehead. Uh, other people around him, both underneath him in, in Alex Rucker and to sort of like the side of him in Scott O'Neill on the business side. And an ownership had a very large say in decisions. And I think he, you know, clearly he was involved. Um, the buck sort of stopped with him. But I think he understood and he essentially admitted as much that he wasn't ready when he took over two years ago. And why would he be? He had only been, you know, a, a, a G League GM for a year up to that point. Um, so he was a tough spot there. He was a tough spot to try to come into this summer as sort of like the lead decision maker because he's still inexperienced. And now he's being essentially demoted with, a, you know, a, one of the highest profile executives ahead of him. Um, it is a great question. You know, I think if you would ask me where Elton Brand should be, I think as a lieutenant underneath an experienced guy like um, Daryl Morey is probably a spot he should be in, and specifically a guy in Morey who's so versed in trades and analytics and could teach 
brand sort of some of the ropes that he's never really had to experience. I think that could be a good partnership. I just worry from Elton's perspective, he's had to go through so much in terms of the up and down of his um, ranking within the organization and, and, and his level of, you know, just being out in front of as the face of sort of a, a front office that, that failed. Uh, it is a tough, it, it's the right spot to be in with a tough path to have gotten here is the way I would phrase it. But I, 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 I expect it, him to still be here and, and, and in that role. I think the future looks bright for Elton because Daryl is a, a great collaborator as a as a GM. I mean, we've seen how many people have come out of his front office and seem to be able to do a pretty good job. I, I think that you're exactly right. Pairing Elton with Daryl, it, it would have been great for him if it had happened a year ago, but it's here now. And so hopefully, you know, going forward, we don't think too much about what he did during his uh, the time where maybe he was uh, there too early. Yeah, it's just hard because we just spent the first part of this segment talking about getting off of Tobias Harris and Al Horford's contract. <laughs> right. <It's, laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Derek, uh, I think I feel like I know the answer to this question, but when it comes to the governorship of this Sixers team, I think you can look at the Doc Rivers hiring and go, that makes sense. He's a good coach, better coach than Brett Brown, right? You can look at Daryl Moore and say, that makes sense. Dude can, can build a team and he's very progressive and everything, right? But it does feel like over the last couple of years, it's a lot of shiny objects when it comes to to the Sixers' governorship in terms of the decisions they make. Why is it different? Is it different now just because they both have like five-year deals? Like, is that why you can trust, all right, now there's going to be stability? Yeah, well, I think there's there's uh, shiny objects in terms of the player acquisitions they went after. Uh, you know, they went after a lot of names from um, Jimmy Butler to Al Horford to Tobias Harris to even Josh Richardson as a name in some regard. So they went after those shiny objects. But in terms of making the basketball decisions ever since Brian Colangelo left, you know, it's been sort of Elton Brand and a whole bunch of people that people around the league don't really like. They, Alex Rucker is not a name. Ned Cohen is not a name around league circles that a, a fan would recognize. I think this is different this time because there is a clear structure in terms of who is making the final decision, who is setting sort of the, um, you know, the, the direction of the team and the front office. And there's continuity there. Like when when Brian Colangelo took over, the expectation was that he would replace Brett Brown. And he brought in Mike D'Antoni. And the expectation was if Mike D'Antoni didn't get a job, they were going to try to replace Brett Brown. Then Brian Colangelo, that obviously didn't happen, but then Brian Colangelo left. And then there's been there's just been disorganization and a lack of certainty for so long that getting established, experienced executives and coaches like this you know, I do think it is it is it is different, and it's just a, a more simple top down structure that they have. You know, Daryl Morey might collaborate, and clearly we know that. I mean, we, in Philadelphia, we experienced that firsthand. Some of the people he collaborated with, but at the end of the day, he is the one setting the direction of the franchise, and just, they just haven't had that kind of clarity in quite a while. Are you personally excited to have a, a GM like Daryl Morey to cover? I mean, I I know that. Oh man, someone Andy who leaks all that information all the time? You kidding me? <laughs> Somebody, I know Sam Hinkie wasn't great uh, at dealing with the media, and Daryl's got a good reputation for a reason. So uh, just on a personal, like from your perspective, uh, are you excited that Daryl Morey is the GM there? I mean, look, first of all, you look at it from a storyline perspective, and you've got Sam Hinkie who started a rebuild, and then you have his boss who's sort of finishing to turn all of that into a finished product. Then you have a, a per, from a personality perspective, Daryl is one of the more outgoing and engaging personalities in terms of an executive in the league. One who probably 
talks a little more than he should. Not necessarily even about basketball transition. Just, I mean, we saw that last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's going to be an entertaining personality to cover. Uh, he is certainly, you know, he works with the, the media um, and he is going to make trades too. And all of that makes my job easier for sure. All right, Derek, we'll get you out on this. Um, so when does Sam Hinkie get hired? <laughs> um, you know, I always I, I always thought if Sam was going to come back, he would have to take a couple of years as a, you know, a second in command. Right. And if there were ever one person he would do that for, it is Daryl Morey. I have a I have a strong hunch Sam is not going to be coming back anytime uh anytime soon. I think Sam has other interests outside of basketball and I expect that to stay that way. Oh, Sam, you're disappointing us. All right, Derek, thanks. They so got to retire his jersey. They do have to retire the jersey. Got to retire the T the TTP jersey. Well, there uh, there, there the is Raptors. a banner that um <clears throat> the rights to Ricky Sanchez raised at the uh, Xfinity Live Center of him, which um a little bit awkward. They have one of of Brett Brown too. There's a, a process <laughs> Hall of Fame they got going on there. So it's already Gotta been do done, it. quite frankly. It, it's the equivalent of the Nate Robinson Summer League jersey that was retired <laughs> yeah, uh, in the Cox Pavilion in Vegas. All right, Derek Bodner, catch him on the Athletic. Great coverage of the Sixers. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, Dave. Let's go to the other news from the NBA this week uh, from Shams Charania of the Athletic ahead of the next deadline on the NBA CBA. MBPA's Michelle Roberts tells The Athletic, the union and the players will not be rushed. Given all that has to be resolved between now and a December 22nd date, it defies common sense that it can all be done in time. And this is in response to, I believe today is the deadline for figuring out uh, that that agreement to get the league back by Christmas. And so they're going to either have to extend that deadline or push it. We did have Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports report that a faction of players were aiming for an MLK Day debut for the next season. So, Dave, is this simply negotiating through the media at this point? I mean, I think it it is to a certain degree, but there are valid concerns. Much like the negotiating through the media that happened pre-bubble, where players were expressing their concerns about the social justice movement, taking away attention from that, taking away their energy from that. Um Completely fine to have, you know, those thoughts. It's totally fine for the players to think December 22nd is rushed. As a matter of fact, I think I agree with them. I mean, it's a pretty short turnaround. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're talking for, for the teams that were in the finals. Um, what is that? 11 weeks? Basically, Something like that? Yeah. And and I know a lot of people are saying, you know, they had that whole hiatus. We just cannot treat that hiatus like it was a normal basketball like off time. A lot of guys weren't training. We saw that, you know, when we came back, we, yeah. we saw the guys that weren't in shape. You got you know, guys sneaking off to play basketball in finding right. And it games, was difficult. Right? Yeah. And then getting shamed when it came out, you know, don't forget that the Lakers running their, their little private practices came out and, and people were pointing fingers at them. I mean, and rightfully, but I do think that the players that are worried about the start date being December 22nd, they're not making a bad point. Uh, I thought our own Ethan Strauss made a great point over at The Athletic where he wrote about staggering the start of the season. I, I thought that that was a great idea. And it's, you know, what you're going to get is the old school folks that say, well, if it starts on December 22nd for one team, it should start for all teams. But the truth of the matter is not all of these teams are dealing with the same offseason. You know, the Warriors haven't played a basketball game since last March. Some would argue Some of their since uh, June of 2019. <laughs> Exactly. And so, you know, why I think if you're the Warriors, even you would want to get a little bit of a head start 
to round back into shape. Yeah. And then the teams, and I think a staggered release based on whether you were in the bubble or not, right? You start there, and then you work your way out from there. So I think non-playoff teams probably could start December 22nd, and no one should feel rushed. The, the front offices are going to feel rushed, but the players won't. And I think you you start getting the playoff teams in the mix as you go during the ensuing weeks. And it seems to me that, that Ethan found a nice little middle ground there to get the schedule back on track. And, yeah, yeah maybe their finals are playing in August, but, you know, I think you could still finish before the Olympics with that with that start and a staggered start. Yeah, and everything is geared towards saving the 2021-2022 season, right? Like, that's the right. one where they want everything as close as possible to that. And, and you're probably not going to get that um, in the perfect sense, but that is the the goal is like, hey, we're going to take a huge hit on mm-hmm. this season financially, right? Like, we're not going to have fans. Maybe you get fans in by the time the playoffs come around, but probably not, right? We're not going to have fans. Let's just say fans. no. Yeah. Like, it, it's probably not happening. Right, right? And, and so that's like a best-case scenario of like, hey, we got, the, we got fans in the playoffs, but that's likely not happening. And so you're taking a massive, massive revenue hit but if you can get everything back in order for that next season, now you can you can start to you know not take on so much water and and you know the ship can go back to the to the top of the sea there and and I think that's the goal. Um, I do like the idea of staggering that out. I don't know how you fit in everything in terms of the games played because they are still going to have to mm-hmm. get that seventy plus for the for those local TV contracts. Um, but I get like my I guess think they is, can do it. My guess is I think they can work it out. I, I think they can too. I do think that money and that greed for everything is going to um, is going to come up more, and 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 they're just going to have to have time built in for postponed games because if you're traveling, there's going to be COVID. There just right. Is, right? And, and so that is the big thing here, right? I think if you look at what football has dealt with, you look at what baseball dealt with pre-bubble and even in their bubble, which. Obviously, it was not a great bubble. Right. <laughs> um, but when you look at what these other leagues have dealt with, you just have to factor that in because the players are not going to be quarantined at home. They're going to be with their family. They're going to be with their children. They're, you know, their kids are, at this point, likely going to school because that's just how things are happening. And so, yeah, you've got to build that in. And, and I think that potentially doing a normal regular season-ish, you know, this, this idea that they have, and then bubbling for the playoffs – and in particular, because I think that there's been a lot of talk around the league about the quality of play during the playoffs this year being so high without the travel. I mean, it was just clearly easier on these players. They were better. They looked more well-rested. And, I mean, the games were incredible. So I would expect a repeat of that where they do a bubble environment for the playoffs because you can have LeBron James, and I'm just throwing a random name out, but you can have him miss two weeks or three weeks during the regular season. Yeah because of a, a COVID test. You can't have that happen during the playoffs. And I think that everything they do during the regular season wow. needs to inform what they're doing in the playoffs. And so, you know, I hope that they work this out. I don't know if December 22nd is going to work, but I would love the, to see them keep that foothold on Christmas Day. I think it's important to basketball. Every single time I talk about shortening the schedule, I discuss starting on Christmas Day. Yeah. Like That's... Traditionally, I mean, you and I are about the same age. My entire life, Christmas Day was the start of basketball season, essentially. That was when you got the big marquee games. I got to see Michael Jordan. You know, I, I just think that Christmas Day is so important to the NBA that I completely understand them wanting to get that start. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I do think I do think they'll be playing on Christmas this year. I, I think, think so I too. think they're going to find a way. But yeah, uh, if you're expecting to see Steph, LeBron Steph that morning, Curry. I don't know. I do. I do yeah. have an idea. I do have an idea where you have the delete eight. Right? They they are the yeah. Christmas Day games, but you pick one one major star, and you don't know where that star is going to be. But they get a chance <laughs> to tap in for the fourth quarter of that game. So you, you just show up, and you're going to watch. Hornets Cavs because LeBron may cut may show up in a Cavs jersey just for that fourth quarter. Oh right? no, no, no. Giannis may, may show up in a Hornets jersey. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. I, I actually I love that idea. That's complete. Chaos. Yeah, James Harden could be a Nick for a quarter. Who knows? Let's get yeah, weird. Or a Sixer. I, yeah, exactly. Or a Sixer. It could be. It could be real weird. We'll get back to the show in a bit, but first, a word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. All right, Dave, after 35 years of stewardship, the Miller family has entered an agreement to sell the Utah Jazz to Ryan Smith, the founder of Qualtrics, which is some kind of company. I I read what they do, and I still don't understand it, but the point is $1.66 billion for the Jazz during this entire mess of an economy, a mess of everything. Uh, Turns out... Dave, that the uh, the old uh, billionaires still have billions of dollars to spend, and uh, and it does, you know. I guess we we'll, we never know what a what a team governor is going to be until they start enacting stuff. He is a huge jazz fan. He does seem to be smart. He does seem to get it. They have prior business with him with the jersey patch that raised you know twenty five million dollars for for cancer research. Like they do have a good relationship with him, and he does seem to get it. But you never know until until they take over. Well, it is always good for a fan base to to go through a team sale and and likely see no changes. Like that's yeah. my expectation is that maybe you're you're going to see a change in the front office, but the Jazz are not leaving. I doubt they're going to change the name as much as I asked them to. And I, I think that for the most part, fans will not notice a difference. One point six billion dollars for an NBA team and an arena. Yeah. Feels like a good deal. It does feel like now a it's a good deal, deal for him. Yeah, but I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering if we're going to see any any other teams sold anytime soon. I, I'm thinking that guys may want to hold on to that investment a little bit longer and let everything bounce back because 1.6 billion feels pretty low for the Utah Jazz and that arena. Yeah. You tell me. I mean, you you were there. Yeah, I mean the 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 arena. They you know it's not a new arena, but they did heavy renovations to it. It's nice now. It's really, really mm-hmm. nice now in, in post renovations, and so yeah, I, that seems like a good deal to me. Um, I don't know if I, I, I'm with you. I don't know if we're going to see any other teams selling anytime soon. But in a totally, 
totally unrelated, you know, segue. The Houston Rockets, maybe for sale, maybe not. <laughs> Who knows? They don't have any money, but they did. Uh, they did find some money for a new coach. Dallas Mavericks assistant Stephen Silas is uh, is going to be the new coach of the Houston Rockets. This dude has been an NBA lifer for uh, for two decades plus as a scout, as an assistant coach, front office. Um, he's been all over the place. He was uh, the architect of, uh, along with Rick Carlisle, of the most efficient offense in NBA history with the Dallas Mavericks last year. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this works out for for the the Rocket star side of it. You know, predominantly James Harden, Dave, because it's <laughs> there's more he can do, right? Like you can have mm-hmm. him do more by doing less. And you can have that be because, like, hey, he maybe moves after he passes the ball, right? Maybe relocates. Maybe does right. some of this stuff. Like, you can do a lot of that. But also, if you're trying to convince James Harden he needs to change what he does, he can always just be like, I've been MVP or runner-up four out of the last six years. We win 50 games. We get deep into the playoffs sometimes. Why do I need to change, right? And I don't think it's a bad thing with James Harden. It's just that's a that's going to be an interesting conversation and massaging of the of the situation to see how that works out. I doubt we're going to see a huge change in in the way their offense is uh, without a big roster change. I mean, Silas was just coaching in Dallas. I mean, we saw how they played there. Uh, He took on a lot of the offensive coaching responsibilities there, and he did that in Charlotte with Steve Clifford on his staff. I mean, we know how Kemba cooked. Obviously, they didn't have the roster that they had in Dallas and the roster that he's inheriting in Houston. So, you know, I, I think that it's going to be hard to judge what he's done thus far. But one thing I do want to point out, everyone has been quick to mention that his dad is Paul Silas. I really want to point out the fact that this guy has been an assistant coach. Like you mentioned, he was a scout. Like, I mean, he, he started as a scout. Yeah, like and 1999. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly his dad being Paul Silas didn't hurt. Of course. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, we know that the NBA is built to a certain degree on a level of nepotism, and it varies depending on how important you are. Um, But this guy has been an assistant coach for 20 years. I mean, he has more than paid his dues. He was overdue. It's funny that this news came when it did because I was just having a conversation with a scout, and he asked me why I thought that Steven Silas hadn't gotten a job yet. And I couldn't come up with a good answer because he's well-respected. He's well-liked. I mean, he's coached. With some great coaches, I mean Steve I've li- Clifford. I've literally his never dad's heard, a good coach. Yeah, I've never heard a bad yeah. word about him, which is rare in the NBA. Absolutely, I mean I've heard bad stuff about uh, probably ninety percent of the assistants or or yeah. head coaches in the league, but I've never heard anything bad about him. So everyone's had a great working experience. So it's actually nice to see that that the ceiling, like because assistant coach, I mean it's hard to break in and become a head coach. And this guy just he just grinded for twenty years, yeah. and finally got a shot at it. So, you know, I'm hoping that as we move forward, there is a lot more focus put on Stephen Silas and not so much on Paul. It's a great story, father son coaching duo. That's fantastic. But now I want to see what Stephen's able to do with this roster because, you know, he's going to have a real opportunity here with a top, you know, four or five guy in the NBA, yeah. one of the best offensive players of this generation, and. and you know, I'm excited to see if James Harden is going to be a different player or not. I mean, maybe he will be. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, like, at worst, they're going to win games, right? Like, exactly. they maybe they're not going to go deep in the playoffs. Maybe they won't be successful in the playoffs. But he's going to be able to win games and learn on the fly and learning through winning even as a coach. Like, that's just – it's such a huge opportunity for him, and I'm, I think it's a perfect hire. I really do. Like, I – no offense to Jeff Van Gundy. If they had hired Jeff Van Gundy, I would have been like, what are we doing? 
Yeah. There's nothing exciting there. Yeah. For, as as people who talk about basketball for a living, there just wouldn't really be anything exciting if they hired Jeff Van Gundy. And and for me, as somebody that pays a lot of attention to coaching, and and in particular when new coaches are hired, I'm I'm diving into tape of those early games, trying to pick up on their signatures. And so for me, when I'm looking at this and I'm looking ahead, I'm like, all right, so now I'm going to get to see what a Steven Silas offense actually looks like. Yeah. Not what it looks like when he's constrained by the head coach, but what's it going to look like when he's got the reins? And, and, you know, I like some of the names I'm hearing that they're looking to pair him with. You know, Nate McMillan is, is one of those names. Jeff Hornacek. I think having someone who is who has done it before is very important yeah. for a new coach. John Lucas, even a guy who's right, been on who was a yep. finalist for it, yeah, it, exactly. Even a guy that's been on the bench for twenty years, um, I, I definitely hope that they get someone who can get the uh, who can be the voice for the veterans, the guy yeah. who can talk to the vets on that team. And I don't think Steven Silas is going to have a problem with that. Again, he's been around for a long time, but I definitely think you need a veteran whisperer. When you're going into Houston, and, and that might be John Lucas. You know, if they do move him to the bench, maybe he's the guy that just says, "Hey, guys, listen, we're, we're all in this together. Let's get this done." One more thing from Sean Strani of the Athletic: the NBA has sent its 30 teams the game presentation protocols for the 2020-2021 season in conditions of limited to no fans, enhanced theatrical lighting, so it's going to look like a Nets game, right? Like the Nets always have that dramatic <laughs> yeah. lighting because they don't want to show the empty crowd. Uh, although maybe that maybe that would have changed this year with KD and Kyrie. Crowd from Arena Noises NBA 2K pre-recorded chants. So all those arenas that uh, pump in the crowd noise anyway because their crowds don't really care that much. You're you're back in business. <laughs> and then the possibility of team arena entertainers. I do love the idea of Vanilla Ice just showing up to an empty arena. <laughs> oh my god! You know, I, I was thinking about Red Panda. A, with an empty audience, yeah, you know that's going to be like shooting in the bubble. We're not going to be able to take anything she does seriously. There's going to be a huge asterisk next to her right. entire well, season. Been, you know this; she's been washed for years. Well, but this is my thing, though. There, look at what we just saw down in the Orlando that's bubble. True, she may have a J Crowder I mean, reckoning. <laughs> is Anthony Davis a a forty two percent three point shooter? I don't know. He is in the bubble. That's right. There you go. That's going to do it for today's Daily Ding. Don't forget about the other shows across the Athletic Podcast Network, the Athletic NBA Show, Fun Buds this week, Tampering was great, Hoops Adjacent was great, Point of Contention was fun. What's coming up on Nerder? Well, we talked to Yaron Weitzman, the author of Tanking to the Top. We talked about Daryl Morey. I mean, that's kind of like the hot topic this week. So we went into that, and then we also talked about how you build out a coaching staff, which again... Hot topic of the week. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, don't forget no dunks, all the team specific shows. Maybe even have it, head over to the athletic YouTube channel. That's right. Big Waz and I got a show on YouTube now once a week. We just debuted, so go ahead and check that out. And don't forget, you subscribe to The Athletic, you follow in the app, you get notifications for new episodes, utilize the comments section, let us know how great we are and how great of a job we're doing and how nice Dave and my beard is, right? Well, we don't have the same beard. We have different beard. That would be weird if we just Right, if we were sharing beard, a beard, that would be super be weird. weird. Yeah, it's not that. But make sure you subscribe by theathletic.com slash daily ding. Get yourself a deal. Thanks for waking up with us. Please vote. Please be safe, wear a mask, stay socially distant, and Dave, hit me with that sign-off. Ding, ding. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.